Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Honest to Pod, the topical podcast where each week we pick something to ramble on about, like current events, personal growth, uh, LGBTQ plus IA sports, and dreamy politicians. I'm Ashton McAllister. And I'm Matthew Alley. And this is episode 93. Harmonize. Episode 93. No, Matt, when I am here, you need to be here. Not here. Here is too high. <laughs> is that from something? <laughs> you just said. <laughs> I, think, I think it's from 30 Rock. I think, yeah. Uh, do you know, I was watching that recently, actually. Um, so funny. The last season I was watching it, it was good. It's, it's actually one of the best shows. Have you ever watched it before? Yeah, yeah. Like all of it? I just started on the last season um, because I couldn't remember where I was and I thought I'd be able to get through this. Uh, but I've watched like the first four, I would say definitely, but I wasn't mm. too sure about something. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's quality. It's quality. Gen- Jenna Maroney is easily one of the best characters. Ah, uh, she's so good. But she's really good. The actress is also, I think, really good in Kimmy Schmidt. Do you think so? The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, Je- uh, Jean Kraskowski. I mean, I think she was brilliant in Ally McBeal. I've never seen Ally McBeal. You're too young. Yeah. It's um, something probably that today's guest and I would definitely have watched. So, yeah, I'm excited. Guys, we have got the best guest on today. Um, American representative Brian, Brian Sims. Um, Simmy, as we call him. <laughs> <laughs> as his we said throughout the entire podcast. <laughs> yeah. The entire thing. B dog, yeah. <laughs> big man rep. That's what we call him. Oh my him. god! Yeah, yeah. We're at that level. We're at that level. Our friendship. Uh, yeah, what an uh, amazing guy who's achieved so much um, at the grand old age of forty-two. <laughs> um, I think I'm not getting involved in his age. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, he's very nicely gave up some of his time to chat to us today. But before we get into that wonderful interview, we have to give a massive shout out to another new Patreon who joined this week. Um, thank you very much, Craig Barry, whoever you are. I don't know who this guy is, but- um, No clue. No clue. But thank you so much for your support um, and for a lot of other things that uh, people do to support the podcast. Um, <laughs> one of them being, Patreon. Uh, there's so many ways to support the podcast and support us as um, as the hosts. You know, Patreon obviously is a massive commitment. Um, it's it's just so generous as well, so generous, and we're always grateful. Um, so thank you to all our Patreons uh, who sign up. Uh, exciting is that this week, if you're a Patreon, you'll start getting exclusive content on the feed. So watch out for that. Um, it's exciting to jump over there and you'll hear a little bit more about what Matt and I have been up to this week. Uh, but yeah, if you're interested in becoming a Patreon, obviously um, it'd be great to have you on board, but just head over to the Patreon website, uh, search for Honest Pod. You'll find us, sign up, become a sugar daddy, become a bougie pee, become a basic bitch, whatever you want to do, it's all welcome and we're very grateful. Obviously, there's other ways to support the podcast, isn't there, Matt? Yeah, there's tons of ways. You know? um, social media is really important to get people to follow us and listen and find out just about us in general. So if you could share, um, follow, obviously, and subscribe on Instagram, YouTube now, as you can see our beautiful, wonderful faces. I got myself a little light mm. for this, um, which actually obviously needs to do. And <laughs> I had to make a last minute dash to the weird, shitty internet. And I had to make a last minute dash. Um, yeah, just get involved actually with the podcast in general really helps us. So um, we've got many of our uh, listeners who are very loyal to us and mm-hmm. share with their friends. And we just ask mm-hmm. that you can do the same again mm-hmm. as anything. You know, we're just a growing little business kind of thing. And um, it won't hopefully cost you anything much of your time. But just sharing is actually massive, mm. massive, massive, massive for us. I, I find the most effective way is to force people to listen. So if you see strangers in the street, grab their phone. Don't ask permission. Just grab their phone, search for the podcast, put it on, on Spotify, on Apple, on Acast, SoundCloud, whatever it is, whatever you can find on their device, put it on and just say, you're welcome. <laughs> okay. Um, why don't we introdu- get into the bit about a guest? <laughs> right. 
yes, um, let's jump in. Without further ado, let's get right in here. Hey everyone, and we're joined this week with uh, representative Brian Sims, dialing all the way in from the States in sunny Philly. Is that right, isn't it? Is it sunny? I mean, it's, it's daytime. I don't know. I wouldn't call it sunny. Yeah. Well, uh, it's not always sunny in <laughs> Philadelphia. I know where you're. Yeah, I know where you're going. <laughs> um, I knew I heard that somewhere. It's a TV show, isn't it? I've never watched it. it. I've never actually watched it. Is it any good? No. Joe Barber, my old boss, she raves about it. She loves it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Babs. Babs. Um, so yes, I think you're our very first international guest. Oh, I'm, am, am I your first elected official? You are. Yeah, we haven't um, had many guests, to be honest. So it's, both of those things probably... are terrifying. I'm, I'm, I'm already excited and nervous. Yeah. So yeah, well, that's the problem as well because we normally get a bit of riffraff on. So you might be the real kind of guest that we have on. So we're going to sound really <laughs> stupid in comparison to you. So I hope you don't mind. Well, um, listen, I might also be the riffraff. <laughs> yeah, you might well be. To be fair, we we don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> you are about to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so welcome. Uh, Representative Brian Sims, do we call you Rep? Call me Brian. Brian? Yeah, I'm, I'm, my mom and dad are both retired lieutenant colonels in the army here. So Br Brian's pretty good. I, I know what real titles are. My parents have them. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Um, well, thank you very much for giving up some of your time today to record with us. It's a very busy week in the States. And, um, you know, like you just said, just getting measured for a bulletproof vest is yeah. scary enough with the inauguration so we're recording this a few days before the inauguration, but obviously this comes out the day after the inauguration. So when we speak about things, listeners, you might might make sense afterwards. So, so Brian, do you want to just start off with telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I, as you mentioned, I'm a member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. Every state in the United States has a House and a Senate the way that our Congress does. Um, I am, uh, as I just mentioned, I'm the son of two retired lieutenant colonels in the army. And so I'm from a little bit of everywhere in the U.S. I've been to all 50 states in the U.S. But I, um, I moved to Pennsylvania when my parents retired from the army. And um, other than, than a brief time when I was uh, going to law school, I've lived in the state my adult life. I'm a civil rights attorney by trade. And I, I, while I live in the city in the United States that has the best LGBTQ civil rights in America, I live in a state that has none at all. And so what I had spent the majority of my adult life doing is fighting for equality in, in the Commonwealth. And in 2011, I, um, I announced that I was running for office. I ran against a 28-year incumbent. And when uh, I was elected and uh, took office in 2013, became my state's first openly LGBTQ legislator in 240 some odd years. Um, and I have spent my last eight years going into my ninth year now, I was just reelected um, doing just that. I, I, um, I fight for women's and reproductive rights, racial and ethnic justice, LGBTQ civil rights. Um, and I, um, and I, I'm, I suppose I've built a bit of a reputation for not backing down to, to bullies or challenges. And there's a lot of them in this work. Mm. Uh, no, it's going to be one of those questions that I'd said I'm not going to ask. <laughs> Here we go. No, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> but, um, okay, I will. I thought, let me have a little look up before the podcast, because Brian Sims is coming on. And it's really important to just do that. Um, and you have received criticism before about some of the, um, not just your stance, but some of the actions that you've had in the past. Um, one of the issues that I might have with politics in general, not just the US politics, but here as well, is that sometimes I feel like there might be, I don't know how to put it apart from a lack of, we don't always respect the other side. And I don't know where the line is drawn when it comes to respect and outwardly just saying that what the other person or group are doing is wrong. Where do you kind of stand on that? And how do you feel about some of the backlash that you've received? Well, I, I think that one of the, the things that I often see of LGBTQ people and people of color and women, especially in, and in legislative environments, is that oftentimes we're sort of used as the tip of the spear. We're used as the people that are, are most likely to point out how terrible and wrong others' behavior is. But we're then also the sort of face of the shield when the other side fights back, we're the, we're, who's like sort of pushed up to, to deal with it. And so, you know, I'm, I carry 
virtually every privilege I can think of other than I don't come from any money and I'm, and I'm not heterosexual, but I carry a lot of the privileges that I ask other people to use when combating racism and sexism and xenophobia, because that's one of the most valuable places to use your privilege. And so, yeah, you know, I have oftentimes put myself in between people that are doing wrong and the people that they are wronging. Um, and sometimes I've done that too aggressively. I've done it like a goon sometimes. And my, my job is to learn from it, not to not do it. My, 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 my values, my morals, my ethics around this, I believe are sound. My, it doesn't always mean that my behavior has been. And that's a part of growing up and, and you know, learning to do better and understand better and know better. Mm. Um, I live next to the most heavily protested Planned Parenthood in America. It's the Planned Parenthood that led the lawsuit in the United States that helped establish the trimester system that just sort of has determined when and how a person can seek uh, an abortion. And because of that, it is massively heavily protested. And for the bulk of my adult life, I've actually been a patient escort there. It's a private thing that I've always done. You, you, you're not there to counter protest. You're not there to speak back. You're there to make sure that young women and young families that are coming to seek public health care can feel safe when they're doing it. That they're, they're not getting yelled at or hurled at or um, having these little plastic fetuses handed to them, which is a really common thing at this place. And, you know, I, I, I had been there for years. I'm perhaps one of the best trained men in my state about why not to yell back at these protesters because how they're used to, to sort of how they're trained to use that. And I was walking by there one day and I watched this group of protesters attack these two young girls that were sitting in the courtyard there, probably making a, an extremely tough decision, or maybe just trying to go in and get a pap smear or something random and normal that had nothing to do with anybody else except that the, you know, they were getting yelled at. And I walked by and I did that thing that all of us do. I wish somebody would say something or do something. And that's from somebody like me, that doesn't take very far to say, wait a second, I am somebody <laughs> and I can, and I, I should do something. We, we learned recently that those people that stand outside of, of public healthcare clinics and try to shame people publicly for seeking public healthcare mm. actually hate when their identity is disclosed as somehow as though they get to do a private thing while harassing other people for doing a public thing. And you know, my mind went there. I thought that it would, the best thing I could do to help in this situation is to, to, is to turn that mirror back on the people that were there. And it was a mistake. And um, I, I know better, and, and not just because of the response, I know better because of the people that were involved. Um, mm. And you know, I, I have heard of elected officials who get everything right. And um, they're fake bullshit ivory towers that we don't want anymore. And if people can't learn from mistakes, especially when those mistakes aren't about their values, but about their behavior, then we're in trouble. And I think we can. That's what I was kind of alluding to. I guess when I was, I saw <laughs> <laughs> some of the videos. I know. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, because it is really important to be able to learn from it. And I, I think American politics are very different in some ways, but they're very similar um, as well. So I feel like in this country, you cannot make a mistake before you go and do something or become part of the political system. You have to be this absolutely perfect person to then run for office, for example. When actually, I feel like you'd want to learn from someone and have someone represent you that's actually lived and made mistakes and stood for something in their life and, and really grown from it, as opposed to these people that were handed everything straight away. So I think if you haven't learned from it, then that's a negative thing. Thank you. I mean, I, I was standing up too hard. I was standing up like a goon but I, I wasn't backing down from what was wrong, wrongdoing, no question. And it doesn't make my wrong a right by far, um, but I, I do know better now. And yet I still am certain that, that harassing w women, families, girls, seeking public health care from a, a, a clinic is, is wrong no matter what. I can argue the finer points of whether or not they have a First Amendment right to do it. Of course they do. I'm a civil rights attorney. Um, but the appropriateness of it is something that it, it shouldn't be lost on all of us, especially at, at this day and age where all too often we see political stances backed away from, moral stances backed away from, for the sake of what some other, other people would describe as decorum mm. or a, as appropriateness. And that's not fair and that's not right. And I have an entire criminal justice system in this country that hasn't been changed because too many people thought that doing so would be inappropriate or that they cared more about the decorum of the people who were asking for that than the actual substance of what they were asking for. And so I know the difference. It's also nice, it's also nice to have like, in, in my opinion anyway, we, obviously politicians and lawyers come with a, a certain sort of, um, what's the word? <laughs> I don't on. even know. Well, no, I was going to say we we all have our pre predisposed judgments of what we think politicians and lawyers are, and you know, 
uh, politicians to me will say what they say what you want to hear rather than sometimes say what they stand for. And it's really refreshing to have somebody who's, you know, making headlines for good and, you know, sometimes bad reasons, but also very committed to what they stand for, which is, which is great to me, in my opinion. You know what, Ashley, it turns out it's actually most of us. Most people I know in my life stand up for the things that they believe. When mm -hmm. they're presented with information that's counter to what they believe, they absorb that information. If it means a change in their beliefs, they're willing to do it. It's part of the reason that they're the people I want to associate myself with. And so to, I know that we all have such low expectations of elected officials that we think that they just have these amorphous blob style values that are just gonna depend upon whomever they're looking at, whomever's asking the question, It's all that they all have these situational ethics and that might be true of politicians and it may have been true of it's true of lots of attorneys no question um but it it's not true of most of the people that we all know and so mm -hmm. if most of us have the ability and the opportunity to be involved in in politics and in policy making and most of us actually are, are, are better at this than what's been getting done we should do it it's sort of the moral imperative behind all of this is that I, i'd rather be a civil rights attorney it was my it's all that i ever wanted to be in life but it turns out in this day and age, what's missing in politics are people who know how to overcome challenges, who have faced marginalization and not just survived, but thrived. You know, um, they say that if, um, if you've never had, to, or that people who have never had to overcome anything don't know how to overcome anything. And think of how many challenges our governments have been facing of late that they've just been falling apart, especially mine. And it's in yeah. part because it's these people who do not understand what actual challenges are and how to deal with them. Mm. Mm. I think um so where I'm from in London in North London um it is it's quite central and the background of the people that are there are uh, very diverse I would say in terms of ethnicity and stuff and in my own household not many people my family don't vote for example and one of the reasons why um is because they don't have trust in anyone um and I feel like that might be the same um, you know with that impression as Ashley's saying where some politicians you don't know who to trust you don't know who aligns with you and in some instances you don't have anyone that you feel represents you um in the U.S. in Pennsylvania in particular in Georgia I know that there are a lot of issues in terms of voting not just people wanting to vote which I think a lot of black people don't do but one of the reasons is they can't actually vote because of voter suppression is that something that you face in Pennsylvania Absolutely. So my my state is the last great what's called gerrymandered state in the United States. Gerrymandering is a term. I, I have, go ahead. Well, I'm just saying there are so many words that you say all the time. And I was like, what is this word? I was like, I've never heard this in my life. And I was sure. looking up and it's like, so also, can you just say what gerrymandering is? And then, Abs and then do it. Absolutely. So uh, I'll even explain briefly the history of it. Gerrymandering is in um, representative politics. When you draw districts after you have a census, you figure out how many people live in an area. You Representative democracy says that these districts can have 65,000 people in them, for example. When a population grows or swells every 10 years, you have to adjust those districts. Gerrymandering is when you allow computers using algorithms that import data that is outside of the data that they should be using to draw those districts so that you get more Republicans or more Democrats than should actually be the case. It's, uh, the math behind it is actually unfortunately very simple. You can take a, a state, for example, like mine that has a million more registered Democrats than Republicans and you can draw the district lines that squeeze all the Democrats, Democrats into just one place, two places, three places. So Republicans actually control my state as mm. though they had a two million vote voter lead, and they don't. Now, all over the United States, uh, Supreme Courts have ruled that unconstitutional. The US Supreme Court in various ways has ruled it unconstitutional, but hasn't yet ruled on our state legislature. My federal legislature, this happened. They ruled that it was unconstitutional, and we got four new Democratic women in, that, in, the, in Congress, as it's supposed to be. So we're an incredibly gerrymandered state, meaning that we have inauthentic control from the other side. Now, Democrats have done this as well in other states. Democrats gerrymandered Maryland years ago. So it's not a party thing. It's a, it's a power thing. And in my state, Republicans control the legislature. And so and one of the truisms in American politics is that when more people vote, regardless of how you slice that group apart, no matter what demographic you include, 
it's better for Democrats in Pennsylvania or in, in the United States. There's just, it, those, those truisms are inseparable. And so if you decide to make it harder for seniors, if you decide to make it harder for women, for people of color, for urban dwellers, you name the group that you wanna make it harder to vote for and it will inherently benefit Republicans. And so in Pennsylvania, a, a bunch of things have happened. We got rid of what's called straight party ticket voting where you could just walk in and say, I'm a Democrat, I just wanna vote for all the Democrats. I gotta go, I gotta get out of here. Um, they got rid of that in part because they knew, Republicans knew it would add about a minute and a half to every person's time in the voting booth, even if they just go through and click every single Democrat or every single Republican. And if you add that minute and a half times 60 people waiting in line, you know, 10 people waiting in line, you're essentially making it harder and harder and harder. You know, voter intimidation, voter suppression now, modern voter suppression, it looks like making it harder for people to vote. The voter ID stuff, you know, there was a, Pennsylvania spent years fighting voter ID and lost that they were trying to say that you needed a certain type of ID to vote, which is quite antithetical to our constitution. And in doing so, it made it so hard for seniors, so hard for women, so hard for single household families. Um, it, it was just impossible for people to vote. And all of that was uh, in, uh, essentially a form of, of voter suppression. Do you feel like it's better at any point now, especially because um, not so much in your state, because I think it's still run by the Republicans. Still run by Republicans, although we have a Democratic governor. Mm. Um, which still doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like, oh. <laughs> okay. Um, but that being said, voter turnout across the board, both for Democrats and Republicans, is still up in some way. So I yes, guess hopefully... That's always good. No matter what, the more people that vote, the better, period. There's not... I mean, I, when I get out and ask people to vote, I don't ask people what their party is. I don't ask people oftentimes what their politics are around voting time because I just want everybody to vote. And... You know, yeah, we uh, this last cycle we passed um, um, mail-in voting, which has been happening all over the country, and in ways it happened in my state before, and that allowed people who were too scared to go to the polls or people for whom it was too dangerous to go to the polls allowed them to participate as well. And you know, if it were up to me, I'd do what some of our states do, where you know it's either a, a holiday on election day so that everybody has the opportunity to go in and vote, that voting can be done by mail over a month long period, that voting mm -hmm. could, you know, you can anytime during a week, you could be able to go into a, a government facility and vote during that week. All of that should be the case. Everything that makes it more likely for people to participate in our style of democracy, the better. Yeah, no, it's it's true. I think like in in my family over home in our last vote, my my younger brothers didn't vote because they just didn't they don't it, it, it just it's not going to change anything, I guess. And and in, in Northern Ireland, it's a little bit different with the political system that we have because it's you're voting sort of this political religion or sort of intertwined. And you know, for example, as a as a Protestant, your your strongest uh, party is the DUP. And the DUP is homophobic, you know, and, you know, there's just a horrible, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but a horrible bunch of people. Um, but then the alternative who are a little bit more forward thinking is Sinn Féin. And if you vote Sinn Féin, then everybody's scared that you get a, a United Ireland and you lose the connection of the UK. And so it is, it's like my little brother's like, you know, who cares? Like it's no, no one's going to fix it. So we may as well just leave it the way it is. Um, which to me is the wrong attitude. Um, you know, growing up as a, as a gay guy, I, you know, 100% vote against the DUP in anything that they do, regardless of, you know, my religion. So one of the things, Brian, that we were very interested in is your sports history. So Matt and okay. I met, we met playing rugby. Um, so we play, we played for the King's Cross Steelers, which is one of the first. Uh, is the first. The first gay inclusive rugby team in, in the world. So, so you guys um, can both like beat the hell out of me too? Is that what you're saying? I don't know. American football looks pretty tough. So. No, I can easily. Mm. <laughs> I think I got this. Hold on, my my roommate and her best friend are about to walk into my house. No worries. No, you guys, hey, you guys hey. are good. It's just Euro trash. Oh. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> no way. How horrendous. <laughs> make it so personal. <laughs> I can so... come for you, Brian. I'm trying to be respectful here, but. No way. You just told me you're from the north side. Aren't you from the bougie side? The north side. I'm, I have no idea what side of London is the fancy side. I just I'm, actually we're no longer in the European bullshit. Union. We've left, yeah, so we're not Euro trash. <laughs> we're sort of I'm you know both of you sound a lot more articulate than I do most days. Do you think so? Ashley does not. Not, not at all. Not at all. 
My um, and I've got a microphone in my hand, so it makes me seem like it. But when it's not there, or I mean, I've got water. Last week I had um, some cider, and it was a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> I should have drank for this. Ah, oh, man, we can still can. <laughs> it's Sunday afternoon. I'm hungover today. I can't today. Do you know I hate oh. drinking on a Sunday. I can't do it. I think because I've got like this like thing in my head where I've got to work the next day. And I used to work really early. I used to wake up at like 4.30 in the morning. So like drinking on the Sunday is just not the one like at all. Ooh, even yeah. things that feel good hurt if you do them at 4.30 in the morning. Mm. I used to wake up and think, not, I used to sit there on the bus on the way to work and be like, what's happened in my life? How did I, how did I get Why? here? <laughs> what is this? Yeah. But people are on their phone talking as loud as I am now at 4.30 in the morning on the bus. I'm like, you need to stop. You know, stop now there is nothing to talk about at 4.30 in the morning. The amount of things that I would trade in this life to not have to be at work, you know, before eight o'clock, nine o'clock on a Monday. Oof. Yeah, I don't know how I did it. Then I used to go to the gym and then rugby training. Anyway, this is not about me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm like, Brian, ask me another, I'm like, Brian, ask me another question. <laughs> so, yeah, so tell us a bit about your sporting background. Sure. Um, my... Uh, you know, I, I lived, like I said, I lived kind of all over the country. And when I was a kid, I lived in Alaska for a couple of years. And so I, I skied a lot, um, mm -hmm. but didn't play any of the sort of tr traditional American sports when I was much younger until my family moved to Pennsylvania, the state I live in now. And um, I was I was sort of your typical eighth grade fat kid. I, I was the exact same height that I am right now, actually probably around the exact same weight I am right now, but in, I was... I was 15, 14. And in my state, whether you want to be or not, they make you a football player if you're that kid. And so I got my twin brother and I got recruited to play football. I do. I, uh, a little Jack's kind of blonde hair, blue eyed. I'm kind of a jock and he's an athlete. <laughs> um, and we, we got, you know, we got recruited to play football at our, what was first a junior high school and then the high school. And it ended up being one of those really, really good schools for for high school sports and i um i lost a national championship when i was 16 and won a national or a state championship when i was um when i was 18 and then got recruited to play college football at a at a at a school in my state um played there for four years and then lost a national championship my last year i'm almost over it well, it sounds like, yeah um, and i read um, that you were the captain of your team as well I was the captain of my team, yeah. Which was, um, you know, which is interesting. I, I, I think I spent as much time keeping my teammates out of, you know, out of trouble and out of jail as I spent, you know, helping on the football field. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a really, a really awesome year of my life and four years of my life playing with them. Jail. Matt, I saw that come as soon as I said that. That look on your face. I was like. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, you guys play rugby. I, I'm sure you know a thing or two about unruly 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds playing sports. And in a little tiny town like I was at in, in Pennsylvania, you know, we we were louder than we needed to be. And we probably stood out a little bit more than we wanted to. In a rugby club, because it's mostly adults, you don't get a lot of rowdy behavior, like properly out and out. Um, no hooligans. I actually. <laughs> just, yeah, not properly. I, I, yeah. I appreciate that. I started when I was 18, though, in university or college as well. So I joined just because my friends were doing it. And there we had some initiations that we had to do. Um, I remember one night I woke up and I woke up with three jackets, no socks, in a sleeping bed in someone's kitchen. And I had no idea whose kitchen that was to this day. Not a clue. Someone's on a podcast right now explaining about how they, lost, <laughs> how they found a pair of pants and lost their jacket. Three jackets. <laughs> Two of which were not mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bigger question is, do you still have them all? Uh, I did use, one was nice. So I did wear it for a bit on nights out afterwards. I did keep one for a bit. The other one wasn't too good, but I was like, where are my socks at? Um, <laughs> why do I have no socks on? <laughs> um, no, so I don't have them now. That was a long time. They won't fit my, uh, my stout body now. God, yeah, I think I grew, I played rugby a little bit in school, um, but at university, probably because they were so rowdy, I was like, I'm not getting involved in this. I've got other things to focus on than these games yeah <laughs> and then that's I probably a good decision what kind of things did you guys do then that were quite rowdy in your college football days <laughs> that may have got you in trouble um yeah i mean it's I'm, I'm thinking about this i'm like i'm a lawyer and a legislator <laughs> how much can i tell you um yeah you know uh we weren't my 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 buddies and my team the my favorite thing about them is that they we we weren't mean we weren't 
we weren't tough guys. Um, we were friendly, we were fun, we, we partied really hard. Um, and, and we, I don't know, we had, a, we had a really, really good time in my late teens and my early 20s that, uh, that, is, that is almost all still a part of my memory. There are no specifics there. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted juicier details. I wanted things that are like, well, this one time and we did this. Well, I, so I got a, so I came out of the closet at something fun with my team. I, I had a I get asked all the time what it was like to come out to the come out of the closet to a college football team. And the quick answer is that they kind of came out to me. Um, I my senior year, my last year, we had just lost this national championship. And my twin brother's college, which was kind of the, one of the sister schools of mine, was hosting something that I'm certain is illegal called uh, Jello wrestling, where they they make 400 gallons of red Jello. That sign me up. Yeah, squishy lunch snack Jello. I will be there. And they build <laughs> a makeshift wrestling ring in like the middle of their campus out of tarps and bales of hay, and groups can sign up to wrestle each other for like the last week of school. And um, it might even been like a particular day. <laughs> and so my buddies and I drove from my college out to his college and I signed up to wrestle the cheerleading squad. And they should have known I was gay when I won, but I wrestled like two or three cheerleaders, one of whom is now my sister-in-law. She married my twin brother. And uh, right afterward, I was walking back to my car, I, um, I, I think to get more beer. I was dyed red head to toe. I had like just a pant leg and like a, the collar of my t-shirt left. And my quarterback on my football team just asked me like, yo Sims, are you gay? after four years of you know, essentially living with him, him being one of my best friends, he finally like, chose that moment to drop it on me. And I always thought I'd have like a really tough, cool answer. I was you know, nearly 300 pounds and, and I was a big guy. And I said, yeah, man, like, thanks for asking. Like, cheapers, you know, I, I'm so gay, so gay. Like, oh. <laughs> oh. oh my God, did you cry? Please tell me you cried. So there were a lot of tears during my coming out process, not necessarily my own. I, I cried, I cried a lot. I cried a good commercial, but my teammates were really nervous early on that, that I had somehow kept like a, a list of all the really homophobic shit they might've said over the years and all the awful things they might've said. And that this friendship we had built over the years where we had just lost a national championship, but we were a really close group of guys. Mm. And I think a lot of them were very nervous that I didn't view them as close a friend as they viewed me because of this. And so I spent a lot of time letting my close friend, you know, hey, God, like, as they apologized profusely to me over those weeks and months, and I let them do it because they needed to, but I also was very clear with them that I, I wasn't friends with bad people before. Like I wasn't tolerating bad people in my life just because I, was, I wasn't out. And that, you know, that's part of the reason they're all still my best friends today. But a lot of tears, a lot of tears, which was is watching a 300 pound guy cry to you while he's trying to apologize for saying homophobic things while he's like saying the homophobic thing was really <laughs> kind of funny. Mm. I think it's crazy as well that this happened, what, 50 years ago when you are in college? Did you say 50? 50, five zero. You know, Matt, I liked you for most of this interview, but suddenly Ashley just became my favorite person on this. Are we having technical difficulties? I said five, five years ago. Did it happen five years ago? <laughs> no, he um, said what I, he said, Brian. Yeah, he I came out in said. 2000. Yeah, so 20 years, 21 years ago. Shit. I think that's kind of similar to me, actually. I remember when I started university, I was like, I'm coming out now. I, I was, you know, I knew before and I told my twin brother as well, just the summer beforehand that, um, you know, I didn't say I was gay. I was like, um, I think I like men and women, which is obviously not true. Um, and then he was like, yeah, no. With like a face like this, he was like, yeah, I know. And I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> It was so emotional for me. And he's like, yeah, I kind of thought, meh. Yeah, got like, that impression. Are you yeah, fraternal? Yeah. We are, are you fraternal. You, okay, no, yeah, we are you, fraternal. Right, but you guys do look alike? We look really similar. Actually, at the moment now, we look more similar than we probably ever have. Um, I put on quite a bit of weight. Um, and he lost a lot of weight and we both tried to grow this little facial hair. Do you see it? This little thing just underneath my chest. Uh, um, I don't know. I'll get it closer. You can't know. Um, Still can't see it, Matt. I, I tried my best guys. Look at you both with your beards. Although I don't want a full face a beard. When you've got all of this, you don't want to cover it. Okay. You don't want to cover this. So. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I have this. Yeah. Oh, shut up. We saw the video when you first came out and you were there in college being like the little young face thing. Oh, it wasn't black and white, like a, but... I look like a doughy young conservative. <laughs> you probably Mormon. do, yeah. Exactly. Off to Mormon school. 
Then what, what was the, what was the vibe in the in the team after you came out and the coaches and stuff like that? Was that all cool or what happened? It there? was pretty. It was pretty awesome. I mean, I, even to this day, all the years of doing this work professionally, I still reflect on it, and I know that it was it was incredible. What I learned, um, and I didn't learn it for a couple of years, is that my teammates had a meeting, and how they arranged an entire team meeting without me there is still a surprise to me. Um, but and I. You know, I, I crack up thinking what it must have been like, you know, like a big picture of RuPaul on the wall and like a big picture of me on the wall and be like, this is gay. This is Sims, you know, like Sims is now gay. And <laughs> and what they essentially did is they did what Jackie Robinson's manager, Jackie Robinson, the first black player in, in Major League Baseball in the United States, his manager walked into a locker room and had a, a conversation with the players. And it was kind of what my teammates did. My teammates sat the rest of the team down and said, Sims is gay. And if you have a problem with that, you have a problem with us and you should go. And it was, it turned out to be kind of that simple. You know, it, there was a lot of conversations the weeks and months that followed. I think that there were a lot of conversations um, that my teammates were having with each other and that they had with some of the people who were handling it bad. But one of my, one of my best friends on the team, a pretty religious guy who I know was struggling with it said to everybody else, if you've got issues, if you've got concerns, you've got problems, you don't take it to him. You bring them to me which I really appreciated. And I, you know, that was a couple of years before I learned that my coaching staff, similarly, you know, my head coach was a born again, Christian. Um, and we found a place to just re you know, to respect one another, which is what, mm -hmm. exactly what we should have done and needed to do. And um, yeah, it just became one of those things where you know, a lot of people think I have this fantastic coming out story and I do, I'm, I'm very proud of it. And I, I love that I was able to come out to a, you know, a college football team, but really my coming out story is about my teammates. It's, you know, there's gay people everywhere. What there wasn't at the time was a team full of, you know, first generation college football players who, who, you know, were, were despite the fact that they were struggling with what they thought was supposed to be somebody's identity, really stepping up. And for 20 years, these guys have all become mostly teachers and coaches. And now if you're the little gay kid at some, you know, at, at, some, at Allentown Central Catholic High School and you're getting picked on, you don't have to go find a counselor. You can go find the head football coach and he's going to step up and say, hey, what's the problem here? You know, gay, gay, gay guy is one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. And that, that has turned out to be the real transformative nature of it. And it's why it's so, it turned out to be such a precious thing because of them. It's nice also to see so many sports start people coming out now. Um, sure is, our time. Yeah, and I'm sure there's, still many making waiting or fighting that decision or whenever they want to do it. But um, I think it is definitely reassuring to see more come out. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, we had the, the gay rugby player came out. He's, he's from the States, um, which is, which is, you know, great for the gay community and, and the rugby community. And I know you, you're, um, are you, you're in, you're on the board of the Ben Cohen Billy. Yeah. You know, um, I, yeah, and Ben Cohen's anti-bullying organization is just was up, it was yeah. something that was I was real proud of to participate on. Um, it, you know, I actually haven't even spoken to Ben in, in a little bit of, a little bit of time. He and I are think of the exact same age, and Ben had a really strong connection to anti-bullying because of uh, some things that involved his father and his uncle and his upbringing, and he used his star power to combat bullying, which seems like a really simple, easy thing that people can do. You know, it's funny we we give so much power and influence to celebrity and we ask very little of celebrity and whether that be in athletics or in entertainment and uh one of the things that that part of the reason i think so many of us are frustrated by people who don't step up is because there's so much potential to do good when they do and ben cohen's one of those good examples yeah i think there's a there's a big example so i follow the nba almost religiously like i'm a huge huge fan and there's a player who's many people may know called lebron james and he i've heard of him Someone, you know, I don't know. Some people don't know him here, but you know. Um, but he, he was criticized before um, where they said that he should and other basketball players should just shut up and dribble because they just need to do what they know, which is sports. But they're actually human beings. They're people that actually are part of the community. And he's like, no. So he's got more than a vote as like more than an athlete sort of thing that he runs. And now the impact that he's had in particular, as well as many other players, um, Ash knows my favorite player is someone called Dwayne Wade. Um, I said I don't know if you know. Do you, do you know basketball at all? I know you're in America. But. Here's the thing. So I'm, I'm I don't follow a whole lot of professional sports, 
everybody in America knows who Dwayne Wade is. Oh, good. <laughs> he is my everything because his child has come out as transgender as well. Mm-hmm. And um, himself, and he's, like, he's been you... such a wonderful dad. He is a model father. They they even wear matching outfits at stuff. Come on, they coordinate their clothes like Destiny's Child. I'm so <laughs> in. Yeah, it was uh, the way that he's treated it. They have is just incredible. Um, but yeah, getting back to the fact that, you know, these are still people part of the community, part of the world, and they do have influence and should impact others to do things because they ha- you have a platform. You have a platform well, to do things. Even if they didn't, it's an interesting thing to tell anybody that they shouldn't be using their voice, especially matching up with a platform that they have, in part because the social science, the political science, which is not art, we call it social science for a reason, tells us that people of marginalized backgrounds have what my government usually calls KSAs, knowledge, skills, and abilities. Have have um, a background in marginalization teaches you a lot about other people's lives. It, there's not it's not that there's direct corollaries between um, the 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 marginalization, the the attacks faced by people of color versus the LGBTQ community versus women. There's lots we can learn from one another, but it's so interesting to say to anybody who was who was raised in a place where they were not the the pinnacle of, of cis straight white majorityness that you you should keep your voice to yourself. Mm-hmm. If LeBron James were nothing other than a black man in the United States, what he's got to say about the power structures in the United States is valuable. Period. Well, I think one thing the states knows all about at the minute, um, albeit he him being silenced now on social media, is a bully. Uh, Obviously, after four years, the great news that happened, I guess, mid-November and confirmed the start of this month is the, the new party coming in with Biden and Harris, which is exciting. Um, obviously, when we first reached out to you, I think was it way before Christmas. Um, and we thought, you know what, it's going to be nice chat about the inauguration, the change of the party. And then just <laughs> two weeks ago, last week, all this shit that just happened. Um, you've got Nazis and Vikings like going into the Capitol building. It's like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, feels like everything fell apart, doesn't it? It did not, but it sure feels like it. Yeah, well, I mean, it, and it just it just shows, you know, for, I mean, I'm a massive, I love The View and I watch it when <laughs> I can and, and Wendy Williams, but Wendy Williams doesn't really go into politics that much, but um it just shows like they were saying something like the way the world views America and, and growing up, I was always in awe of America. It's somewhere I thought, I'd love to live there. It's just, they have everything. It's beautiful. You know, it's so big. It's just, I want to be an, an American and I just hated my family for not being there. Um, but when you see that what just happened last week, you just sit and think it's, it's such a, such a shame to see a big country fall like that. Um, mm-hmm. And Obviously, we mentioned the start of the episode about you getting sized up for your bulletproof vest. But one of the big questions from the rest of the world, and I'm sure definitely in America as well, is how safe are you feeling this week coming up? Because the stories that are going around are, are scary. I, I, I actually feel very safe. And I, that is not a, that's not ignoring how scary things are. Um, it turns out sort of logistically right now, my capital and in Washington, D.C. are among the safest places to be in the entire United States. Um, Lord help somebody who thinks that they could cause problems right now in D.C. or in capitals around the country because they can't. Um, Unfortunately, 20,000 National Guard troops have been called up in and around the Washington, D.C. region. Public transit, private transit have all been impacted dramatically. What and how people are able to move around the capital for these next couple of days will be the most restricted it's ever been, perhaps in American history, in direct response to a, a, a massive conspiratorial lie being told by not just um, disgruntled people who are pissed off that their guy lost, but being perpetuated by people who have, who, who maintain the public trust, whether because of um, their finances or because of elected office. And that's the big difference. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm mad, no question. I, I'm, I'm a queer person, so I don't, so being mad is not often, and we're like, we're not allowed to just be mad about things. We usually often have to fix them ourselves as well. And so I think, you know, it's why it's, it's well, let me say this. I'm going to back up. Part of the reason I feel okay 
is because I know a, a data point that is undeniable. And that is that in the last election cycle in the United States, frankly, and in the one before that, more women, more people of color, more second generation immigrants, more queer people ran for office than at any time in our history. And on paper, mathematically, statistically, empirically, we are the antidote to broken American representative democracy. It is the one thing in our rich history that we've not been able to get right. And frankly, how awful these last couple of years were, have already proven to be the impetus to the steps we need to take to fix that. And so I, I don't wear rose colored glasses. I don't believe in Sisyphean tasks, but I do know that the steps we needed to do to fix this didn't begin with us electing a new, a, a, a new president and a new vice president. They actually started in the election cycle before this and the people who decided to run in this last one. And so there's really lots of cause for hope and lots of cause for optimism in part because we just have, are coming out of the process of, of restabilizing after one of the most destabilizing uh, sustained events in our history. We've got a lot of work to do, um, but I think what will come of it is some of the most revolutionary change we've seen, certainly in 60 or 70 years. We actually are gonna have to rebuild our criminal justice system so that it is not built upon and by white supremacists. And uh, th that's something that we're going to do with this president and with this vice president. That alone gives me as a queer person, a whole lot of, of um, optimism, a lot of hope. And so, you know, yeah, this is, these are the, these are some of the darkest ages. We will, these will be a part of our, our, um, our identity, a part of our songs, a part of our stories, a part of our, our textbooks for the rest of my life, no question. Mm -hmm. But what they will be documenting is the beginning of a second generation of American representative democracy that is significantly better. I mean, it is, it's a, we, we were, one of the initial things we definitely wanted to chat about was what a remarkable year the last election was for the states because you had so many people of color, uh, queer people elected into office. It's just like, it's really remarkable. And it's, you know, whether it, you know, most likely in my head anyway, it's in, in, in spite of Trump running it, or, or winning, it's like, you sort of think if that person can get to the highest seat in one of the most, yep. well, the most powerful country, you know, we're all able to do something. And it's very empowering. And I imagine younger generations who are now coming through. And I, I do think, um, I think younger generations like, you know, well, younger people in their 20s are so much more switched on because they have to be and they're, they're making big decisions and um, sure. and, they and they're have, powerful. Yeah, the we don't waste our time trying to, we got the, the mm. billions of dollars spent trying to get young people engaged. And every time I have an opportunity, I always say, do you think, do you think these people like to waste their time and their money? No, they're scared because they know about how much potential you have. And if you're engaged, what happens? And they, you know, they got more engaged. We, mm. we just elected the youngest senator in American history, a 33-year-old you know, from, from Georgia. We just elected um, a black pastor from the South. Like we, big transformative change is already coming from this. We've elected mm. that we've put, just put the first um, person of color into the White House. Where big transformative change has already come from this and it's only going to amplify as we undo the bad by by you know by investigating indicting prosecuting the all the bad that has happened but also there's just there are some major things on healthcare on on student loan debt on the environment that that and frankly and criminal justice reform on top of all of them that are going to get done here soon um, and you know they'll all be ongoing conversations maybe we'll still have this conversation in 10 years but it won't be about whether we should start doing it it'll be what do we do mm. with what we started mm. well we'll have you back on the podcast in 10 years time um, <laughs> i appreciate that <laughs> well i wanted to ask actually um because you obviously like to be a lot first because you're the first you were the first openly queer or well gay captain of an ncaa football team first person, queer person in Pennsylvania to run as an elected official in that sense. You're the first elected official on our pub podcast. So are you going to be our first gay president? Uh, no, nope. Matt, when the first gay president gets elected, I'll have helped get her elected, but it won't be me. Huh? You say, you say it's going to be a woman first, a, a gay woman. You know, I, I am very proud of the 800 or so out elected officials there are around the country. And when I look at the people that 
um, I most want to elect is, as uh, my elected officials, it is undeniable that the leadership that we see from a number of elected women in the country, especially mm. right now, is reflective of a lot of what I was saying earlier. It's not just learning how to survive, it's learning how to thrive in this environment. And so, yeah, I, 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 I think that, I do think that we are going to see LGBTQ people in the White House soon and, um, and forever after that. Um, I was going to just ask there, and it's a bit of a side, sideball question. Um, we, Matt and I have talked about, um, I'm going to say his name wrong. Matt, what's the politician that came out as gay? Um, but before that, is it Aaron Shank? Shock? Aaron Shock? Aaron Shock. Yes. Congressman Aaron Shock, I think from Illinois. No, I remember being at uni and I remember seeing a picture of him wearing these white jeans with a, a, yeah, with the belt. With the belt. And I thought that is the gayest outfit I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And then to read that he is so anti, well, he was then so anti-gay. Um, you knew then, after that he was even gay, right? A hundred percent. Actually, I think he auctioned off that belt and burnt it or something. There was some, there's some story attached to what he did with that belt too, because everybody clocked him after it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be one of us like, please, you are not one of us, bitch. <laughs> no, Aaron, you know, it sucks that, since, you know, he, he now lives in West Hollywood. My understanding is he lives in West Hollywood. I think he's a real of estate he agent. Does. He, He's still, he's still, I believe, is involved in all these lawsuits and owes hundreds of thousands of dollars to lawyers. But, but gay guys sleep with him. And if you're watching this, gay guys, you're sleeping with Aaron Shock. Stop. Well, this is the debate we had on this podcast. It's not just a debate because we, we did have this. And I said that to Ashley. I said the exact same thing, right? You cannot separate the art from the artist, okay? I think it's one, right? You cannot separate it. And he was like, no, the bitch is fit. I will get with him despite his behavior. Well, fit to I, toss. I, fit to I, toss. My, my response was, I would, I would definitely be challenged by that decision. I don't think I ever sure. would. But, um, but you, you know, he's an attractive guy. But no. Actually, in- I, think, I think better of you. I think that your, value, your values and your libido are attached. And that while, while you think it was a good thing, suddenly that little angel on your shoulder, Matt would pop up and he would go, Ashley, do not sleep with this pig. The last thing I need is Matt cock blocking me anymore. <laughs> Brian, you don't know anymore. Okay, hold on one second. And we're just going to go on one of those. Div- Ashley, you don't know him. Okay, Brian, I'll tell you a little story about Ashley McAllister. All right. Now, there's a saying that's called bros before hoes, right? It is the Wait. opposite for Ashley. All right. He will step all over you if there's a fit guy, in particular, someone who was American. All right. <laughs> He's got a thing. And, it, you know, Americans are fit. They are great teeth, great eyes, fine. But it doesn't matter who you are. Right? I'm one of Ashley's best friends. He's like, yeah. I, just the Christmas before last when we could go out, I pointed to a guy and I said, Ashley, that guy's so fit. Do you know what he did? He went straight up to that person and started chatting to him like as if he said that. And I was like, you're not denying any of this. Well, no, I'll let him I'll let him speak. We've had this conversation so many times. That is not how it went down in that bar. Anyway, we're not gonna get in front of this, in front of you, Brian. Um, but essentially Matt's wrong. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't even remember what I was going to say. Matt, what did you do that for? But anyway, I would not sleep with Iron Shock, that's for sure. Okay. Yeah, don't sleep with Iron Shock. I see he's out um, partying in the midst of this pandemic, which obviously doesn't do him any favors either. So, Well, let's be clear. It's not like Aaron Shock is a, um, a paragon of morals and values and appropriate behavior. So, no, not too surprised. Um, another quick question. Favorite Disney film? Oh, that's your <laughs> The Little Mermaid. No. I mean, I, listen, I realize that there are some people that, that go Lion King, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, but in my house, it's always going to be Little Mermaid, Lion King, Aladdin. Well, you're not mentioning Beauty and the Beast, which is up there. Like, it's number four. Number one. Hercules, um, Hercules is number one. Hercules. Uh, so good. Uh, I'd heard that I heard that you ex- that you you existed. I just didn't realize it was going to be you. Somebody thought Hercules was the best of them all, and I just I never thought I'd meet you. Oh, well, God. the music in Hercules is the best. That's it's great. It's you know. I remember getting the Little Mermaid VHS for Christmas from my auntie. We got yeah. the Little Mermaid and we got Fantasia. Uh, yeah, Ariel can do no wrong in my um. I, I'm a Jody Benson, the woman that is the voice of Ariel. A couple years ago, around Christmas, out of nowhere, like 
posted some video that a friend of hers had her do it like hi brian sims i hear you're a big fan and she sang a little bit of it to me and i'm like there's a part of me that's still on the sidewalk that day when i dropped it was great uh, <laughs> well obviously we heard, I, I watched a video of you singing along to it uh a couple of crazy part of your world part of your world yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you have quite a few musical videos we saw you your little harmonica one for this <laughs> I mean, it, dig, it wasn't that hard, unfortunately. Deep, Brian. <laughs> <We> <laughs> I know. Um, tell us about the harmonicas and the little yeah. tiny, little beautiful harmonica and how you got into that. that. Little, oh, I, I don't know I how you... I wish I had one around here somewhere. Yeah, I, um, so I camp and I hike all the time. I, that's kind of the thing that I spend most of my time doing if I have spare time. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm alone a lot. And my grandfather played the harmonica. I don't know why. Well, I don't remember him playing it. I just knew that he had them. And um, so, you know, how like every couple of years when you're a little kid, like you get a harmonica in your stocking or somebody hands yeah. like a, comes with a birthday gift. Well, I, I held on to an old one I had. And when I was in college, my freshman year, my roommate decided to learn to play the guitar and I figured I'd learn to play the harmonica. And I, I learned just enough then to be able to like watch him play the guitar and not actually play along. But over the years, I've, I've just kind of kept up with it. I've taken a lesson here or there. I'm not, not any good, but I, I know what I know. And I, yeah, and I have a cute harmonica collection. Mm. Isn't that That's fun? Yeah. I don't know how you can like. I break it. My big fat yeah. hands. I'm like, well, whoop. somebody said to me if I like, like harked it in, yeah. how awful that'd be. And I, 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 now I'm terrified to play it. Well, it'd be sore coming out, I guess. Um, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm not saying anything. Are you excited about the travel lane starting again? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I am ready to to see some, a lot of friends and family that I have, like everybody else, to see some friends and family that I haven't seen for far too long. I, I, I like travel, I like being on the road, I listen to good music. I, I'm just, I'm kind of ready to, to, to set back out again. Cause we, um, we were all, we were in, we went to Nashville to play rugby in 16, wasn't it? 2015. Oh, and Nashville is one of the coolest cities in the whole country. Amazing. Nashville Amazing. is so, good so good isn't it isn't it an, yeah nashville is an amazing amazing city i have a lot of friends in that city and it's just one of those places that's hospitable as hell it's got oh. great music great food yeah friendly place to be so there's a problem with that everything closes really early and i think america things close a lot earlier than in europe and in and and the uk is not too bad whereas if you go to like spain for example they're open until like eight o'clock on a regular 8 a.m on like nightlife but in Nashville, when we went, everything closed by like one or two o'clock, which is quite early. Yeah, but um, in, in America, they just free pour anything. So by that time, I'm wasted. I need to be dragged off the floor and taken home. Oh, God. Um, um, but in Nashville, did you go to Hattie B's? Do you like spicy foods? Um, I didn't go, and I guess I do like spicy food. Ah, if you do go again, it's the, probably the best fried chicken I've ever had. But it is brutal. Brutal. The amount the of pain. That. Two days. It went on for two days. Afterwards, <laughs> it was bad. Good to know, guys. I hate to say this to you, I can't stick around for the next 15. I just got a oh. message from my chief of staff asking me to meet her in the next couple of minutes up the street from here. Um, this is the moment that I was caring about. I know so much about RuPaul's Drag Race. That I mean, in in the meantime, th thank you for doing this for whatever it's worth. Yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm always impressed that people have abroad know as much about what's going on here as unfortunately I think you're all are forced to have to learn um I in better times hopefully it won't you, you won't have to care who our our attorney general is and you won't be you know wondering whether or not there's a plot that, that you know to put people into our supreme court and who those people are I'd I'd much prefer lighter times where you don't have to focus on some of the stuff that's going on here because I know it impacts the world mm. but I'm I'm grateful that you do and that you're that you're having conversations about it for sure. And, you know, we're grateful for you and everything you stand for and everything you do. And especially grateful for giving up your time to be on the podcast uh, today. So thank um, you so much. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I mean, cause it was cut off shortly. We need to get a second episode out of this at some point. So um, uh, yes, please. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I, as long as I've got a little notice, I'm always available. Well, cool. there's enough drag queens to rank drag queens. And what we'll do is we'll do our one and then we'll remove those from the list and then just start again fresh. And then another episode in a couple of weeks, whatever time it is, we can do the rank again with your favorite drag queens. With Tatiana and Bianca Del Rio somewhere high on the list, I bet. They will be gone. I'll tell you this now. <laughs> you, you'll need to listen to what, what we're saying about our, our queens. So yeah. yeah. All, right. All right. Fair. Ryan, have Guys, a lovely day. Thank you. No worries. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
Wow, so that was Brian Sims. I know. Oh, my God. He's just gorgeous. He is so dreamy. Yeah, it's really nice to have him on. It's a shame he had to run. It's a shame he had to run. Um, I could have easily chatted to him for another, you know, our first date. Thanks for joining us on our first date. <laughs> well, for you, that's um, not a date. You don't say these things are dates. You're like, no, I must have three coffees that's and a two showers. He passed the first screening for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, and he does look a little bit like a Disney print. Yeah, he looks like I'd Prince agree. Eric out of his favorite Disney film. I can't remember. When well, you were talking about Disney films, I was like, oh, no, I know nothing. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I wish he had a, the time to sit and give us a rendition of some of the music from his favorite second-rate Disney film, but it is what it is, I guess. You think Little Mermaid's that bad? I don't think it's that bad. It's up there in my top five. Up my top five. Thank you for another wonderful episode, Ashley. Thank you, Matt, for a lovely episode. And yeah, thanks for Brian. Yeah, thanks for his time again, like I said. I can't uh, believe he even came on. I know, I know. Uh, remember to look out for Monday, where we will have a segment of Honest to Pod Top 5, and our first one, where we're going to rank um, our favourites in a certain subject. And we'll tell you what that is. No, we can say it now, isn't it? Yeah. Well, on Monday, we're going to rank our Top 5 Drag Queens from RuPaul's Drag Race in honour of Season 2 of the UK version having just started. And obviously, we've got Season 13 of mm-hmm. the US version. Nice. Yeah, have right. a lovely week, Ashley. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye.